friends, and welcome to the A Jesus Church podcast. You're listening to a teaching from our Sunday gathering. We exist to join God in the renewal of all things by becoming a unified, spirit-filled family that follows the way of Jesus. And it's our desire to come alongside you to encourage and equip you for that journey. So if we can serve you in any way, please don't hesitate to reach out to us through our website at ajesuschurch.org connect. As always, we hope that this teaching increases your hope and deepens your faith for the journey. Hey, before, we, uh, before I have Carrie, which by the way, thank you for reading the text for us today. Before I have Carrie read, um, I just wanted to take a moment kind of to talk through the why is it that we stand when, when we have the reading of the scriptures and, and why do we say things like this is the word of the Lord and thanks be to God? Uh, because, you know, sometimes these like little rhythms, they can feel arbitrary, like, why do we do that? Like, what's that all about? You know, they're actually there to help form us, to shape us, because uh, we believe that ultimately, like, we sit underneath the authority of the Scripture. So if you think about it that way, like, the Scripture holds a very special place in the life of a, of a follower of Jesus. And so we stand as a community to honor that authority, to say, yes, Lord, we, we stand. And a part of the reason why we say simple phrases like, this is the word, Lord, thanks be to God, is because the scripture has been given to us by God as a gift. And so it's really great because we get an opportunity just to say, thank you, God, every single week for this incredible gift for us. So that, with that being said, Carrie, why don't you go ahead and read our text today from Habakkuk. Okay. Good morning. Uh, we're going to be reading from Habakkuk 1, verses 1 through 11. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked him and the righteous so that justice is perverted. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong, their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities by building earthen ramps. They capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, we do thank you for your scriptures. We thank you for your word for us. Thank you for being a God who speaks to us. You don't leave us out there. You, you actually talk to us and you interact with us. Lord, would you help us to hear your voice this morning? Be our teacher. Like you be the one to guide us through today. Teach us to sit in the tensions of life and death, wholeness and decay, joy and despair. Holy Spirit, we invite you to speak. 
We are listening, Lord Jesus. We love you. This morning is all about you. This day is yours. Would you be lifted up? It's in your name we pray with our eyes locked on you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can grab a seat. Uh, as you're doing that, if you need a Bible, we will be in Habakkuk today. Uh, if you need a Bible, go ahead and just throw a hand up. There's a man or woman around the room would love to get one to you. Uh, and if you don't have one, you're welcome to keep this as a gift from us to you. Um, it's great for studying ahead as we look into this beautiful book of Habakkuk. Brittany and I have um, some dear friends who a number of years ago walked through a deeply painful and heartbreaking path. They had one daughter uh, and, and they found out that they were pregnant again with two twin boys. There was so much joy and celebration. Honestly, they are an amazing family, incredible family. Not long into their pregnancy, they discovered that, uh, that there were complications in the twins' development. One of them was growing differently than the other. The short version was, that one wasn't going to make it. Um, as you can imagine, and as some even here maybe in this room have experienced, it was devastating for them. But the other two in kept growing, and joy was mixed with sorrow uh, as this beautiful family wrestled uh, with the realities of their situation. God seemed to be meeting with them daily, giving them the manna for the day, grace and peace. It seemed that there would be this beautiful, powerful story of redemption and love set alongside their grief. But a little further along in the pregnancy, it became clear that the other twin was not developing as hoped. There were parts of his internal anatomy that just weren't growing. And, and we all started praying like crazy crying out to God on behalf of this little one, this little life, on behalf of this beautiful family, praying for a miracle. When he was born, the doctor gave him hours to live. But he, he was a fighter. He lived for months and months beyond his original days, being loved and held by two adoring parents and a beautiful big sister. And we prayed. Lord, could you do a miracle here? Would you do a miracle here? And then he passed on to be with Jesus. And I watched as this little family walked through the valley of the shadow of death. Through pain and sorrow, through anger and grief, through questions of why, God, where are you, God? How could you let this happen, God? Till one day, and I'll never forget this day, sitting with my friend as he wept and smiled and recounted the real miracle of having had the time with their little boy that they had had recounting the real miracle of the impact of his brief life and what it had meant to their family, recounting the real miracle of the future day, the future time that they would spend together with him forever. I sat in awe of my friend as God's spirit literally just radiated off of him 
There are things that my dear friend, who's much younger than me, will understand about God that I do not. Places that he has been with Jesus that I will likely never go. Fruit born from the soil of grief, from what the ancients used to call lament. Now, Lament is a word that we don't use very often anymore. And when we do, we use it in kind of a slightly different way. If we lament something that we've done, it's like we, we feel, we typically it means that we regret it or, or we're sad about something. But the Jewish people and the early church saw lament differently. They saw it as more of a spiritual practice, a method of formation. Lament is a tool that helps us look the evil and pain of our world in the face as we hold on, often white-knuckling it, to a good God. And I think this ancient practice, it actually has the potential to unlock and heal so much of the grief that sits within our culture today. Whether you're here even this morning, walking through tragedy or grief, or you've found yourself kind of in that in-between space of wrestling, of trying to figure out God in the midst of your pain or, or maybe past hurt or maybe the anticipation of future pain, like the loss of your favorite football team later on today. Because no matter what happens, somebody is going home disappointed today, right? And we laugh, and, and, and rightfully so, but the reality is, is that grumpiness that sets in after football season, and we all know what I'm talking about, that, especially if we lose, it points at something, right? Sports it can be one of many distractions that help keep our minds off deeper disappointments and the pain that all of us carry in some way inside of us. Good distractions, like in the same company as like exercise or binging your favorite show or losing yourself in a great book or meal, good things that keep us from dealing with a lingering sadness within, like disappointment or doubt or unjust treatment or grief or unreconciled relationships, corruption, uh, lack of opportunity, things that we've walked away from or given up on that were important to us. We can carry this sorrow inside of us and we often, we don't know what to do with it. It lingers in there. Lament gives us a tool to come to God with our disappointments and lay them at his feet to labor in the presence of the only being in the universe that can actually carry every problem, the only one with the capacity to hear, to heal, and to meet every need, who understands this reality in a way that we will never comprehend. Taylor Turkington, in that book, Trembling Faith, that Richard talked about last week, strong recommendation if you're looking for a read. She says this, Lament is a plea for help that describes suffering. It declares wrongdoing for what it is, unjust. When you've prayed desperate prayers, you were lamenting in faith. You said what should not be and sought the one who could help. 
It's not complaining or whining. Following this prophet, Habakkuk, it's a bit like a protest. The act of lament reminds us of two things. What is true and right about God and what is true but wrong about this world. Did you catch that? That's what lament is. It it reminds us of these two things. What's true and right about God and what's true but wrong about the world. In lament, we come to this good father honestly and openly knowing that he sees us and he, and he loves us and we pour our grief out to him. To be clear, lament is not complaining about bad service, okay? This is not like when your barista gets like your drink or your order wrong and you go back up and ask them to fix it. That's not lament, okay? And, and lament's not magic. This, this isn't some sort of recipe that we pull together to try to manipulate God into giving us what we want. No, actually lament is far more powerful than that. Lament gives us the ability to change our perspectives, to transform our categories to become more like God himself as we trust that he is moving. Let me say that one more time. Lament gives us the ability to change our perspectives, to transform our categories, to become more like God himself as we trust that he is moving. But lament starts with honesty. Honest questions spoken to a loving, good God who is big enough to deal with our pain. He he can handle it. And it starts as we push away distractions and our coping mechanisms and we allow ourselves to cry out to God from our grief, disappointment, and pain, which is exactly where Habakkuk starts in verse 2. Habakkuk 1, verse 2 says, How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? How long? It introduces Habakkuk's lament, which, by the way, Habakkuk, Habakkuk, which one is it, right? You're going to hear both of them out of everybody's mouth all the time, right? Which one is it? Well, the answer is we don't know. So if you say both of them in one sentence, it makes you look very intellectual, So just, you know, just use it however you want, right? Anyways, it introduces his own man, and it shows that he is not afraid to come to God with questions. Even more than that, it shows that he's not afraid to question God himself. This is more than just, Lord, I don't understand, right? Uh, This is, Lord, you're not listening to me. Like, Lord, I'm doing my part, but you aren't doing yours, All I'm getting from you is radio silence. When are you going to listen? When are you going to step in and do something? The nature of Habakkuk's question, it points to persistent pain over time. This is is often the birthplace of lament. How long? This this was something that Habakkuk had been, had been living with and praying for so many times. But, but God seems silent and unresponsive. Yet Habakkuk's question also implies that he expected that God was going to respond. That God was going to do something 
eventually, Habakkuk 2 continues, or cry out to you in violence, but you do not save. Why, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There's strife and conflict abounds. The next part of verse two, it kind of parallels the first one. And it's kind of like a doubling down for emphasis. God, I know that you are there, but this, this doesn't seem to make sense of, of what I know to be true about you. The words cry out, they, in the original, they imply like distress or even horror as he, as he details out his complaint. There's violence and oppression and strife and conflict and God seems unresponsive. I mean, maybe Maybe God just isn't able because their, their gods are stronger? Or, or, or maybe God just doesn't care anymore because we finally have pushed him away too many times? Habakkuk's words are almost accusatory, using the word tolerate to imply that, that God's just kind of sitting back and letting things get worse and worse and worse, reluctant to raise a finger. He wrestles with the very real discrepancy between who he knows God to be and what he is seeing all around him. God, if you're compassionate and righteous and just, why aren't you intervening? Taylor continues in that quote, Habakkuk assumes we know the truth about God at a gut level. You don't ask God to help and expect him to act unless you truly believe, one, that God hates evil and corruption he sees, and two, that the world is revealing its brokenness in injustice. Injustice, wrongdoing, destruction, violence, strife, conflict. The prophet wants his complaint to be clear. Things have gotten way out of hand. Lord, I don't know if you've noticed, but things are a mess down here. Where are you? Why aren't you rescuing your faithful? Habakkuk continues, verse four. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in and circle the righteous and justice is perverted. The law, this is, this is God's covenantal code. The very thing that should have kept God's people kind of in order, in the words of Richard from last week, it's the things that should have kept Israel in the blessing zone. It was paralyzed, frozen. It was as if, as if God's truth was impotent in the face of the violence and corruption that Habakkuk was seeing all around him. And now the, the wicked, they, they were closing in. They were hemming in on him. Even those that had remained faithful were feeling encircled. See, Habakkuk remembered. He remembered Josiah, the last good king of Israel. He had seen what the nation could look like if it centered its worship on, on Yahweh. He, he knew that a commitment to the covenant meant flourishing, and he knew what God's justice looked like when it was moving in and through Israel's leaders. And he knew he wasn't seeing it now. And we get this, don't we? 
don't we? I mean, we live in the city of Portland. We get this. I mean, we live in the middle of the collision between chaos and order, pain and flourishing. Our, our broken world wrestles every day between the way of the serpent and the way of Jesus. Since the fall, there has been this bent, a perverting that, that, that constantly tries to draw humanity into chaos. And God, he stands as an immovable rock in the waters of that chaos. See, friends, God, he calls us, his children, to bring his flourishing into that chaos, into society. And this, this is exact, this is what the work of justice and gospel is all about. It's why we're here. We're here for this work, equipped, mobilized, sent out into that chaos. Habakkuk cries out, justice is not prevailing. It's being perverted. Good is bad and bad is good. He's powerless. It seems like the wicked go free and those who could bring flourishing, they're being immobilized like a, like a courtroom where false witness after false witness after false witness is brought before the judge till finally the judge just gives in. And Habakkuk now stands crying out to the judge of all judges, asking, why are you letting this happen, God? I know you. I know you, judge. I know your character. I know your nature. I know what you stand for. I've seen you work. I've, I've read the stories. Like, why won't you respond? Until suddenly God does. Verse five, look at the nations and watch. Be utterly amazed for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I'm gonna to raise up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings, not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. And we, we're not told how Habakkuk received this message. It, it is in the first person from God, so it's as if God was directing the word straight at the prophet. But notice his response, I am doing something. I am on the move. And what I'm about to do is gonna blow your mind. Now, God's response to the prophet, if I'm going to be honest, his tee-up is a little bit misleading, okay? I mean, for me, from where I'm sitting, it's like, look at the nations and watch. Be utterly amazed. Something unbelievable is going to happen. And you're thinking, like, if you're Habakkuk at this point, like, this is going to be good. Like, they are going to be in so much trouble. Now, it's important to, to, to know that lament in the scriptures, whether it's from a psalmist or a prophet, it, of, it often is pointing forward to something like declarations of salvation. Hosanna in the highest. Our God saves. That's, that's often what comes on the heels of lament. Well, God has other plans. He is going to display his goodness, his justice, and his righteousness by sending judgment 
on Judah. Not the answer Habakkuk was looking for. God says, you say I don't see? Well, open your eyes wide because what you are about to see is going to seem unbelievable to you. I am raising up the Babylonians, ruthless and impetuous, feared and dreaded, a people infamous in how they crush nations, arrogant in power, the antithesis of who God was and his way of flourishing, epitomizing the kingdom of darkness and the way of the serpent. God's response is so shocking because he was going to use a tool of discipline and judgment on his people that was the antithesis of himself. What was God thinking? A people that were, that were like ferocious and powerful animals built for violence and destruction, capturing prisoners and slaves in such vast quantities that they were like the sand on the seashore, afraid of no king, bowing to no power. Verse 11 wraps up saying, guilty people whose own strength is their God. The Babylonians' power was their God. They were known for literally worshiping their own strength, a God unto themselves. Why was God using them? Which is the question that God provokes Habakkuk and us to ask, why are you allowing this force of evil and chaos to even exist? let alone to, to allow them to, to be your instrument of judgment and dis discipline on your people. This doesn't make sense. God, how do we live in this tension, which is exactly where Weston will be picking up next week. <laughs> Thank you, Weston. But for this week, for this week, I want to circle back around to the spiritual practice of lament. Because as we will see next week, things get harder before they get easier, which, if we're going to be honest, is often the case in life. And why we need a practice like lament to keep us grounded. Theologian and scholar Elizabeth Actmeyer, she, she says this, Habakkuk is a book for all faithful people of whatever era who find themselves living in the meantime in the time between the revelation of the promises of God and the fulfillment of those promises. In the time between their redemption, when, when God made his purposes clear, and the final time when the divine purpose will be realized in all the earth. As such, Habakkuk is a book from faith for faith. It's beautiful. And when it comes to matters of injustice, I feel like so often in our cultural moment, our, our temptation can be to simply feed anger. We, we, we feed it with things like the media or the news, and, and often even understandably so, but but often our anger, it only becomes a fire that, that either like burns us in the process or is short-lived and suddenly burned out. Friends, grief is a long-term journey. 
Grief is a long-term journey. It's, it's the cry of a broken heart, weeping, because this is not the way things are supposed to be. How many people can resonate with that experience? We prayed with a couple just today, just walking through it, going through it. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Friends, news and media, they need to be tools for sure, but they are not a discipleship framework. I mean, go to them as tools, but we don't use them to make us. That's what Jesus does. Lament, it goes beyond anger and it involves asking God to step in and do something. You see, because, because anger, it, it doesn't need faith. You could just be angry without faith. Lament, it aligns anger with the heart of God. Hear me when I say that. Lament aligns anger with the heart of God, his justice, his version of right and wrong, his life. In the West, we don't know how to suffer very well. It's really difficult for us. We're told that comfort and all that, all that it gets for us, that's kind of where it's at. And so when things get uncomfortable and when things get hard, it's just, it's difficult for us to suffer. But Jesus tells us that in this world, we will have, but you know, suffering. We will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Let that sink in. Jesus is the overcomer. Consider Habakkuk looking at the Babylonians whose own strength was their God. Habakkuk needed to ground himself in God Almighty. Lament. It reminds us of God's authority. Even, even when we can't see it. Friends, Jesus is king. Turn to somebody beside you and say, Jesus is king. even when our circumstances scream otherwise. You catch that? He's still king. Even when our circumstances are saying otherwise. But, but God, in his graciousness, he also meets us exactly where we're at, right? Lament, it allows us to be vulnerable and real with God. Acknowledging that we don't know what we don't know. We, we don't have to sugarcoat our grief. We can come to God honestly. We can allow the words and the pain to come up no matter what that is. God's big. He can, he can handle it. He can take it. And God knows our heart. And frankly, he loves our honesty. And it's through lament that we are able to inhabit suffering as we sit with a holy, holy, holy God. Kenneth Barker in his commentary on Habakkuk, he notes that God is the friend of the honest daughter. A beautiful line. Who dares to talk to God rather than about him. Can we all fall into that trap sometimes? Like, man, God isn't doing this thing for me. Instead of like going to him, 
prayer that includes an element of questioning God may be a means of increasing one's faith. Expressing doubts and crying out about unfair situations in the universe shows one's trust in God and one's confidence that God should and does have an answer to humanity's insoluble problems. So, as we close, I want to I want to speak to a couple different sets of people in the room. First, for those who've walked through this door today, and frankly, you're at the end of your rope. Maybe you are sitting in grief. You are hurting. Something has desperately happened to you over the course of time, and and you're sitting, or maybe you're in the bottom of the barrel, so to speak. Maybe it was unjust treatment in your workplace, or, or maybe there's pain, deep pain in your marriage. Or or maybe something happened in class in the last several months and you're just like, I don't know what to do with this, God. You've prayed and prayed and you've cried and you've cried and you're waiting for God to break through. For my friends in this room like this, could it be that the breakthrough coming is in you? Could it be that, that that first breaking that God wants to do is actually in your own heart? Could God's transformative work be to make you stronger even as you are feeling weaker to make you who you've been called to be? This week, if you're in this camp, I, I just want to encourage you to write out a personal lament. Do it old school, like grab a journal or a piece of paper and just write it out. Take your disappointments and your pain and and write them out, map them out to God and circle them. Sometimes naming them just helps like move things towards God's healing power. What injustice or, or situation seems outside of the character of God that is happening in your story? Be specific. Second, there's another group of people in this room and it was, Kind of, I poked at it a little bit about the whole Super Bowl thing. And you might have this like nagging in the back of your mind, like a pain that you've been keeping at bay for like far too long. Maybe you've been covering it with pleasure or work or distraction. And and it's a hurt that's in there and it's deep down in your soul. And you just, you haven't been able to bring it up into the light. You guys, my friends, Often some of God's best healing comes as we're just taking a moment to come honestly before him to allow him to speak into it. I, I want to encourage you maybe, maybe this week or, e- or even this morning to take a quiet curiosity moment. Just a simple curiosity. Lord, I got this feeling in my heart. I got this thing that's hurting and, and I don't know what it is about it, but Lord, would you... Would you speak to me about it? Is there some way that you want to bring your healing? And for all of us here in this room, this week, our our communities are actually going to be doing an exercise in lament. And if you are in one, I want to encourage you, do the work. Be honest. Share with your community. Bring it out. Allow them to be a part of that story. And if you're not in community, get into a community, okay? Uh, But in the meantime, like, 
find a few people to maybe do this exercise with. Like, just sit down, and maybe, it's the, maybe that's the start of your new community. And, and we've got some tools. Actually, there's some printouts that the community crew, Nicole and Richard, and at the Connect Desk, they'd love to get you a piece of paper laying out kind of well, what does a lament look like and all those details, and they would love to talk to you about that. A number of years back, Brittany and I walked through a season of deep betrayal by some very close friends, teammates, and it was, it was hard um, because it wasn't just a moment thing. It was a thing that kept on going, and it was like having your reputation just like continuously drug through the mud, and you're just like, there was nothing that you could do about anybody ever find yourself in that situation, and you're just like, Lord, why aren't you stepping in? Like, God, I, we need you to rescue. Step into our story because the, the things that were being said were completely untrue. Lord, be our defender. Where are you, God? You know, I, I remember being in one of those prayer times and, and I, remember, I remember God just whispering, Jesus whispering to me like, I'm right here with you. Tim, I've walked through this. I had all my friends betray me. As I was heading to the cross, I know these feelings. I, I know what it looks like to walk through the valley of the shadow of evil. I know what it's like to feel the doubts, to feel the darkness. I know what it feels like, but don't worry. I'll get you through. I remember in that moment, literally experiencing like, Jesus, like, putting his arm around me and saying, like, let's just keep on moving. Let's keep on going. Sometimes we want to, like, oh, that's the valley of shadow. I don't want to go there. I'm going to take the high ground. And I think he's waiting there, like, saying, no, like, I've got something for you. A way to grow you. A way to make you into something more. If you're willing to take this journey with me. Would you please stand up? I'd like to uh, take this kind of final moment, just pray over us, Psalm 23, verse four. If you would, just close your eyes, open up your hands. The Psalm says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. You're with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. Lord Jesus, would you teach us what it means to walk through the valley and not stop, and not make a run for it? Would you take us on that journey to heal us of that pain, to make in us, to do in us only what you can do. And then, Lord Jesus, for those who are wrestling in pain, who are in the midst of the valley, would you remind them that you will carry them if they cannot walk alone? That you have their grief, you have their pain, you have their disappointment. They are not alone. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for being the God that would go to the cross to bear our burdens, to bear our shame, to, 
become sin on our behalf that we might have the righteousness of God, the right relationship we need with you, that we would have that. But then you, you don't stop there. You keep going. And you meet us in the valley even after you've claimed us and you walk with us and you put your arm around us and you say, I will carry you. There ain't no burden too heavy for me. In the face of evil, in the face of Babylonian power, you are stronger. King Jesus. So today, we simply say, Lord, carry us through the valley. We love you. This is all about you. We are yours. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to partner with us through giving, visit us at ajesuschurch.org.